0: Support for WERU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com.
1: Non-commercial and non-profit community radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and on the web at weru.org.
0: Boat Talk is made possible in part by Atlantic Challenge, home of the Apprentice Shop and the Community Sailing Program, offering youth and adult boat building classes year round, plus internships, apprenticeships, and marine mentoring for middle school students. Atlantic Challenge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to craftsmanship, community, and the traditions of the sea. 594 1800 or AtlanticChallenge.com. And by the Redfern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for powerboats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island. Redfernboat.com. The time is 10 o'clock. You're listening to WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Stay tuned for Boat Talk with Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce. <laughs>
2: I'd go out on the ocean, and if I had a pony, I'd ride it on my boat.
3: Good morning, and welcome to Boat Talk, WRU's own navally-oriented radio call-in show that comes to you from the mouth of the Penobscot right straight to your Erie canals. <laughs> <laughs> This is Alan Sprague, along with Mike Joyce, your host for Boat Talk. It is a radio call-in show. Here's the number right now if you'd like to talk about anything that you think is uh, appropriate for a boating show. one 625 9378 We have a variety of topics to talk about. We're just going yeah, to skip I, around.
1: I never consult on the puns. I, I eagerly await every oh, month now to find out what it could be and uh, hope to make one myself sometime <laughs> during the show by accident. Well, yeah, anyway. you can take
3: a bow when you do.
1: Yeah, if you like that sort of thing, give us a call this morning. We'll interrupt about anything to uh, talk to anybody who calls Boat Talk. uh 866 625 the number here. And, yeah, we've got a bunch of different things to talk about, nothing uh, major. And no. well, let we'd... me throw out one little quick thing for people to think about while they're while – they're, uh...
3: Trying to call up the number one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We're if you've noticed, just about on a new moon, a full moon right now, and I've had several great um, sailing times at night with a full moon. That's one of the I think best times to go sailing. And if you'd like to talk about sailing in a full moon, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. But we have
1: many other things to talk about also. So there you go could agree with that. I have a, a very good friend who uh, is always happy in a boat, you know, and uh, there will be one o'clock in the morning and, and somebody will be awake and the moon will be out and it'll be like, boat ride! And it's like, it's one o'clock in the morning, boat ride! And, and pretty soon you find yourself out on the pond at one o'clock in the morning, you know, rowing her around and you've got to admire that. So yeah, I've been out in the moonlight. Yeah. And, uh, but on the other hand, one o'clock in the morning, that's no time to get up and go out for a boat ride. Well, I'm thinking – Or of the perfect time. When you're doing deliveries and you're out there already anyway, you know, ah, and you're on sailing watch. down the moonlight, that's a different thing. Yep. Yeah. sailing right into the moonrise and stuff. Uh, one of my favorite nighttime uh, sails, uh, just last year we were going down inside of uh, – we were headed to uh, Maramanek, M- 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 uh, M- 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 New M- York. Mamaroneck. M- M- I have a hard time well. with that. I'm very sorry. <laughs>
3: Good thing you're not one of those Indians. Yeah,
1: they can't say a lot of Maine names. So anyway, uh, we're going down inside of Long Island Sound at night, and there was uh, just the most intense lightning over Long Island. And it it looked like nothing more than the end of the world, and, and, you know, all the bombs were being dropped. It was was some of the most intense uh, sheet lightning I've ever seen in my life, and and, uh, just, you know. You see some remarkable things at night. That's right. You see the whole panorama of the island. Did you? Oh, uh, um, intense flashes of light. You know, and Long Island sounds, uh, uh you're in between two pieces of land there, yeah. and I worry about running and at lots night. Of boats. And yeah, well, yeah, Long Island Sound at night. So anyway, uh, not not where I like to find myself. That's usually, not but exactly
3: what I meant by moonlight sailing, though. I you know. I'd Going during a thunderstorm, is to be
1: any time. Arc light sailing, and we weren't in that thunderstorm. We were worried about being in it. It was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like uh, 20 miles off the beam there, and and uh, all we wanted to do was not be in it, but, boy, it was something yeah. to watch anyway. That's the time when you can see St. Elmo's Fire, too,
3: I believe, is when there's a lightning storm in the vicinity.
1: Never seen any of that? I haven't either, but uh,
3: You say you've seen a water spout, though. I have seen several, and, uh, yep, yeah, that was... Uh, not a, a moonlight thing that was out in the Gulf Stream, crossing the stream
1: you uh, hard for me to imagine, and, and uh, you know let alone uh, coming through your neighborhood on land like they have down south just lately, tornado touchdown oh uh, boy i couldn 't imagine having such a thing And waterspouts, uh, i 'll get my attention the first one I see. <laughs> Here's some news. The Kanduskeg Stream Race is coming up this weekend. That's right. Coming a up. classic uh, main event. It's going to be the probably the shallowest water stream race on history. It's pretty shallow, and a couple of the other early uh, uh, canoe races this year have been canceled. But uh, they say they have enough water to hold it, and they're going to go ahead with that this weekend. Um, I I think I might have heard that they may not be covering it on the TV this year because of uh, there won't be enough people coming through Six Mile Falls. But I'm not sure about that. It's usually broadcast on the television as well. Hmm. Just like I said, classic main event. Yes, it is. We do have a phone call. Why don't well, we go let's right to talk that? to him. We'll yeah. talk about Conduskeag after. <laughs> Later. Good morning.
3: Welcome to Boat Talk.
4: Hi, this is uh, Fred in Tennis Harbor. Hi, Fred. Um, three things. Um, I thought I was going to die in a uh, lightning, uh, thunder and lightning storm on the ocean in a little boat. So it's just a matter of timing and distance. Uh, whether it's beautiful or otherwise, that's yeah. for sure.
1: What was going to kill you? The wind, the waves, the lightning?
4: Uh, yeah, we had it all. And we were in a, you know, a, a 21, 22-foot powerboat with lots of power. But still, uh, you know, the the, the, the wind and the waves weren't a problem. But, uh, uh, it was a bad thunderstorm, and we had a ways to go. And uh, there we were. And, uh, so I was uh, I was praying. And we made it. Uh, and, uh... Character, you're, character building
1: you 're traveling with a uh, portable lightning rod though right over your head
4: <laughs> <Well, it's laughs> what 's
1: that boat. oh power a uh, power boat I see, but still um, it 's yeah. got antennas you know. I did some research into lightning because I repaired a, a boat that was struck by lightning, and huh. um, it seems that lightning um, uh, it 's shocking what it can do Good <laughs> <could want to, laughs> like oh, points. I only hope to I only hope to do that accidentally, but anyway um <laughs> It it uh, is about electrical potential. Lightning will seek out uh, a place to go to uh, uh, make the potentials make the all the charges even. You know what I'm saying? Right, Things right. go from uh, uh, you know high concentration to a low concentration sort of thing, and you can be. Attractive to lightning, or you can be unattractive to lightning.
4: Right, right. You know? And 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 the question is, do you get any warning? And uh, I wonder about diffusers—how uh, good that they've proven to be or not. Uh, I wonder
1: about those too. Yeah. I did a repair to a uh, classic John Alden sloop uh, built in twenty nineteen twenty two, I think it was, and it was sitting on its mooring in East Blue Hill. And a uh, fellow looked out in the morning, thought it was a little bit low in the water, <laughs> and it had been hit by lightning in the middle of the night. And what it did was hit the mast, pretty much blew that up like a banana peel uh, opening, uh-huh. went down the mast uh, and also down the chain plates, um, uh-huh. Blew out a bunch of bungs, uh, some seam compound, uh, it, uh, what it do, it it, uh, it blew, actually blew some some chunks of wood out of the inside of the boat, and uh, not to mention the outside, so I had to build her a new mast, and into that mast I, I uh, put a brand new, very heavy uh, zero gauge cable, just heaviest cable I could find, run it up to the top, was going to tie it into the uh, mast step, and... Uh, I wanted him to put a diffuser brush up there. And, again, that is about taking your electrical potential and making it, uh, you know, uh, fuzzier, making you less attractive. Right. As a place that the Lightning would want to go and seek out. So I I checked into that, and people have different opinions. Yes, they're great. No, you know, who knows. Um, And I asked the fellow, he says, do you think I need one? I you're the guy that's struck by lightning. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, the old never strike twice. Then. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's,
1: uh-huh. I can't answer that question for you, and we didn't put one on there, and I guess the boat's been fine since. Uh, so,
4: uh, And um, uh, two questions before I go. Um, raw and bus.
1: Raw and bus. That'd be yep. raw faith, and we were just talking about the bus guy. Alan. Yes. Start yep. with the bus yep. guy, yep. Alan. I uh, he uh, he has a new website
3: out but unfortunately it's pretty much under construction right now so it's just a page that says uh this is basically what we're doing and this is how you can uh contact us there'll be more later so I I didn't bother to call up his phone number to speak with him uh, actually but
1: and for I'll people have a,
3: hopefully have a, a more thorough report for you next next month but all I can say right now is that he is still working on it and we're going to um, have some more information for you on it later, but nothing right now.
1: To fill that out just a little bit, there's a fellow named Mark Rorig. He's in Louisville, Kentucky, and he is fitting out a bus, a school bus, a school bus. to sail around the world on land and water. And he's done this with uh, cars before. Uh, we interviewed oh, he him. Has? Yeah, he's uh, oh, done a geo it. years ago. He has uh, some experience and, uh, what, about two years ago now, we had him on one, one uh, morning on a phone interview. Giffy Full was in here, the famous uh, marine surveyor. And I gave Giffy material from the website printout. To begin with, I said, Giffy, check this out. We're going to talk to this fellow this morning. He looked at me. He says, You're not going to like to talk to me, he says. <laughs> I said, well, you know, we'll just keep it polite and inter- it'll be interesting. So, uh, and the guy won Giffy over. Because he talks about turning the differential upside down and welding it on backwards and doing this and that, and he can he can talk some stuff. Uh-huh. And Giffy at the end says, uh, "Well, I wish you luck, and we'll see." Giffy said, making a pun himself. And so the fella, you know, has some potential. He also has a pretty intelligent wife. His wife's Israeli, I guess, and uh, she is eager to go around the world on the bus, but only on the land parts. Uh-huh. So he's, he's a smart one. He's got some common sense behind him, is I guess what I'm also suggesting. The well,
4: Question is, what does he get some escort on the water, or doesn't he?
1: Well, he's asking for volunteers. He wants to film it. You could be part of the movie.
4: Well, well, well.
1: Are you on the bus? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> Whole new meaning.
1: Yeah, not like the electric Kool Aid acid test, you know.
4: <laughs> What's going on with raw?
1: Raw Faith is still down in uh, Jonesport. I thought to call him up, or uh, I'd love to go down there sometime, but I just don't get down to Jonesport with a dinghy too much lately. And I talked to his son last month, though, and George is apparently um, expecting people to come up from Louisiana. And we're talking this spring. I'm, I'm thinking in May. Uh. And uh, he wants to organize those people and sail the boat south as quickly as possible. He is... He is. Uh, I believe the plan is to sail Raw Faith South this spring, not stay for the summer, go south in the spring. He'd be headed to Atlantic City, City, New Jersey. He says he has a berth at Donald Trump's marina there. Mm, and again, I can't wait to see the uh, outline of Raw Faith against the lights of Atlantic City <laughs> next time I sail by. Yeah.
4: Oh, my Lord. Atlantic
1: City's a, a trip to sail by at night because of the lights. And, right. uh, just imagine Raw Faith in the foreground. Good Lord. And speaking uh, of that, the the Bangor Daily News this morning has a great photo in it on the uh, state page, uh, Section B. It's a great photo of uh, HMS Bounty motoring past Ram Island Light off of Portland on Sunday with their mizzen up, and they are headed for the Booth Bay shipyard, and uh, they are being restored there right now. They're getting hauled out at Booth Bay. HMS Bounty built for the movie in 1960. Still right. going, still going, yeah. Yeah, it's
3: it's interesting to see a boat looks that old motoring by. It seems.
1: Yeah, she's got her mizzen up, but I'm telling you, she's under power, no yeah. doubt about that.
4: <laughs> hey, thanks very much. I love your yeah. program.
1: All right, Glad to talk thank to you, you. this morning, Fred.
4: Bye.
1: Okay, back to Condesgate uh, Stream. Condesgate Stream race uh, happen. Go downhill this weekend. from there. Uh, the number here too is 1-866-625-9378. Oh, yes. Kanduska Extreme Race has a number of different uh, categories. They get hundreds, literally, of paddlers there. They have a uh, pancake breakfast at the Grange Hall right next to the bridge. You know, and I go for that. As, as I say, a classic main event uh, finishes downtown Bangor. And over the years, there have been some interesting uh, competitors. For instance, uh, for years there was a cement canoe category, and they had the World Whitewater Cement Canoe Races that. Uh, featured engineering students, first from Maine and then from uh, further away colleges. A uh, good cement boat can come in at 150 pounds. A bad one can be 300 pounds <laughs> and not, not good on the portage. They're, uh, not, most of them uh, crack when they hit rocks, and I don't think there will be any cement boats this year. There was also a fellow who uh, did the Kanduska Extreme Race one year in a bathtub and he made 10 miles he made the first 10 miles but he couldn't do the mandatory mandatory portage <laughs> i couldn't so the bathtub. so he was Ooh. disqualified there have been uh, there was somebody who uh, who portaged the entire route started off in condescag and and carried the canoe Can right, right down do and it. they were disqualified uh, coming across the finish line as well not for not doing the mandatory paddling <laughs> <laughs> Man, but my favorite category a genius yeah, has been the bateau category, and uh, years ago, friends of ours, uh, and I have this book yes, in my hands here. I actually
3: helped work on that boat, too.
1: Tales of the Kanduskag, and here's an article by Bruce McQuaid, of, uh, formerly a Bass Arbor Marine, called uh, Moose Lips. And Bass Arbor Marine got up a, uh, they built a, a bateau. A real bateau. Out of Luan Plywood, and they were in that uh, race for a couple of years there. That inspired other people to get with the bateau thing. And for a couple of years, uh, there were a bunch of bateau.
3: Well, I guess we should back up and say what bateaus were out there. There were actually bateaus around before there were... Well, fiberglass canoes anyway The Indians were using canoes But probably not for a lot of whitewater stuff
1: Bateau, very traditional uh, river river uh, craft With a, a very narrow single plank bottom uh, Usually three uh, side planks or mm-hmm. so And a big a very flared out very, flared. very pointy on both ends um, And again, uh, very narrow on the bottom Very wide on the top And uh, they bob like a cork You can go over waterfalls with them They used them uh, in the log jams yep, Up and down the main rivers stable. years ago and as we talked about last week, uh, Benedict Arnold built some to uh, go up the Kennebec River and attack Quebec. And we talked last week. Mm-hmm. I went on and on last month about that story. That was last month, second Tuesday of the month's Boat Talk. So uh, uh, there's a brand-new book out called Through a Howling Wilderness, Thomas Desjardins, and it's a great account, I think the definitive account of the Arnold expedition up the Quebec River in 1775. And I told that story last month, about, especially about the bateau but I I left out the punchline. I realized, uh, like a week later, I left out the punchline of the whole story. And uh, here's from the uh, Tales of the Kunduskeg book. Here's a footnote from John Joseph Henry, one of the survivors of uh, Arnold's expedition against Quebec. The bateaux were built at Agri's Point, about two miles below Gardner. Only 14 days had elapsed since orders had been given for building 200 bateaux, collecting provisions for and levying 1,100 men and marching to this place. Uh, Colonel Colburn, who built the bateau, was never paid for them. There's the punchline. He was uh, given uh, a little advance to saw some trees. He was promised 40 shillings real money for 220 bateaux, each bateau. And in 1824, he was still petitioning the United States government for his money. He was ruined by building those bateaux. Anyway, when uh, Arnold's advance party arrived at Norwich Walk, the third carrying place, they repaired their hastily constructed a greenwood bateau, which in the end caused great loss of provision and munition. And again, uh, they were never paid for those bateaux. There was a historical uh, bicentennial reenactment of the Arnold Expedition in 1770, uh, 1975, I guess that would be accurately. And uh, they uh, built some uh, bateau, and one of those bateaux was featured in the Kanduskeg Extreme Race that year. And here's a comment from the fella. Dave Clement, a member of the crew, wishes the po- prototype had resembled Arnold's bateau a little less. Prototype leaped like a sieve, Dave said, and we tried to seal it by filling it with water, but it all ran out. <laughs> and they did the race going uh, sort of in their own little bathtub. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, Arnold uh, never paid for his bateau, or the United States uh, government never did. And, and again, that ruined uh, Colburn, and none of the boys were fond of those bateau anyway, that whole story in uh, Through a Howling Wilderness, Thomas Jardin also featured in the Kenneth Roberts novel Arundel. So just a classic Maine story. And if you're looking for something to do this weekend, how about the Kandusk egg? You've got to realize, though, flat water for the first 10 miles. It's a workout. Uh, people only see going down the waterfall and stuff at mm-hmm. Six Mile Falls, and uh, the first 10 miles, of that is flat water, and you've got to work at that. So, But it won't be snowing, and... Uh, as it does sometimes and they hold that whether or not and uh, this time I guess water or not. Mm. Was that almost a punt? Not really, <laughs> was it? <laughs> 1866. 625-9378. Yeah, save this. We got all kinds of uh little things to talk about this morning. Uh here's uh just a quick note. The ports controversy. Last month on Boat Talk, we talked to uh, we talked to a professor down at Maine Maritime Academy and we were asking him. What is the nature of the main, main uh, maritime, uh, the uh, merchant marine in America nowadays? Because, again, uh, we don't have the boats, strictly speaking. Uh, all the big boats that carry stuff around the world are not built or registered in America, basically. So we talked about that, but here's a little note from the uh, Bangor Daily News. Uh, Pacific and Orient Line, which is being uh, bought up by Dubai Ports World, and uh, caused the big stink about uh, whether or not they were going to run some U.S. ports. Well, I think Dubai now has said they're not going to go Well, they've it. backed off of that, but that company, uh, they move the containers in the port of Portland, hmm. Maine. Hmm. They move uh, 2,500 containers a year in the port of Portland. So we're kind of connected to that, too, yeah. kind of tangentially. Didn't realize that. Yeah.
3: Well, we've got another phone call. Let's talk to them. <laughs> okay.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
5: Hi, my name's Joanne Mosswald, I'm the president Ah. of Come Boating. Joanne,
1: right on time, glad to talk to you. Thanks for calling. Come Boating is a pretty cool uh, uh, organization down in the Belfast area. It says here, the mission is to create educational boating-related programs that serve and broaden the maritime heritage shared by the Belfast area community and strengthen our connections to the sea. What do you actually do down there, Joanne?
5: We do a lot of boating, and we try to get as many people out on the water as possible, Um, for little or no money. Um, We do rely on donations and membership fees, but uh, for the most part, we want to get people out on the water who might not otherwise have that opportunity. We have both rowing and sailing. Um, Free rowing trips go out most mornings at 6 a.m. and most evenings at 6 p.m., and that starts around mid-June. And all you need to do is come down and sign up with us.
1: Let's talk about your infrastructure there. The Belfast waterfront, nice place. They just uh, built a new uh, uh, docks down there, and, and uh, you know that's that's a nice area. You got the Belfast boathouse. You guys actually built your own boathouse too, didn't you?
5: We uh, the city was very uh, very kind to allow us to build a boat shed. It's a it's a storage place for us, and also a place for the community to come to see what events might be happening. We'll be posting our information there, and that is right same uh, area as the harbor master right there at the boat launch.
1: So, you got a great spot. Let's talk about the fleet now that we store in that shed. What do we got for boats?
5: Well, we have five nutshell prams which we use for our children's sailing program. We have a 20 some foot drascum which is a centerboard boat. We use that in both the children and the adult sailing programs. And we have two 32 foot uh, rowing gigs. Uh, each holding six people and a skipper, and um, those are all kept right down at the waterfront in the water all summer long.
1: Now let's focus on the gigs for a second. 32-foot rowing gig, that's a traditional craft meant to move the captain quickly from shore to boat, and uh, they are sleek, uh, like I say. Uh, what's the horsepower on one of those gigs?
5: Uh, six human power. <laughs> it takes six people to move the boat. Um, And we do race them some, but mostly we go out for leisure rowing. There is a a small contingent of people who are really into racing. Um, Also, there's a skipper on board, and that's a trained person. So anybody who wants to row can come. They don't need any special training. They'll be told everything they need to know.
1: How do you find out when that might be happening?
5: We publish our rowing schedule usually late May, early June in the local Belfast paper.
1: You also have a website here, uh, org. Right. Yeah. And uh, how do those gigs handle?
5: Well, they're pretty stable. Um, how fast can we go? I think last year during our race we went seven knots. Hmm. Um, we take them out in most kinds of weather. If it's too windy, they're a little difficult to handle, but most of the time we're just out to the monument and back, and we don't have any trouble.
1: Does it have um, a, uh, Does it have a rudder, or the the rowers steer
3: it? Uh, it,
5: it does have a rudder.
1: Those uh, don't turn on a dime. Uh, long oh, sure they do. They do. Oh yeah. Nine cents change.
5: If you're If you're good enough, you can turn
1: them on a dime. Right.
3: Yeah. You probably get your the one side going forward and the other side going back. You could probably yeah, go.
5: and use the rudder too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there are there are special techniques you can use to make better turns. Um, so, they they do get going though, so you need a little bit
1: of time to slow them down. So not only fun can be a learn, uh, lots of chance to learn on those things. So yeah, you, and
5: it's, it's very good exercise too.
1: No doubt about it. Um,
5: the boat's in the water. You just show up, and you can get your hour of pretty good exercise just by coming down to the waterfront.
3: Yes, help, exercise would help prevent getting a stroke. <laughs> he oh, done
1: that it. Was good fun. <laughs> he done it again. <laughs> So we've got a great waterfront. We've got a nice little fleet. Uh, you've got to take care of all those boats, too. Uh, is there room for volunteers to kind of help out with that end of it as well?
5: Yeah. Actually, we are getting our fleet ready, uh, working on Thursday nights at the Waldo County Votech School. Uh, anybody who's interested in participating in that can call me, um, and I'll give some phone numbers at the end here. Um, also, we're going to have a major work day on May 6th and May 13th. All day working on boats. Um, we, all, we have a lot of volunteer help for this. We do need um, donations to help pay for materials needed to keep the boat in repair and also to pay for our boat insurance.
1: What's your favorite thing about being associated with Come Boating, Joanne?
5: Um, I like hanging out with my friends and being out on the
1: water. <laughs> It's just uh, inherently relaxing. It's, uh, you know, people are hard-pressed to be ugly around the waterfront there, and, you know, it's just a good environment to be in with happy people, isn't it?
5: It, It's also great to um, pull people into the organization who might not otherwise do this kind of thing because they think they can't afford to be on a boat or they've never done it before. So I really like the teaching aspect, too.
1: Now, the membership uh, for Come Boating is $15,
5: that's for an individual, and thirty dollars for a family.
1: Yeah, that's that's uh, that's quite affordable, Joanne. Uh, how's the organization? Uh, you know, is the organization well afloat?
5: We're doing a great job this year. We just got um, in, we just finished our donation drive for the spring, and we got more than we got last year. We have enough to pay our bills this year. We want to expand our fleet a little bit, um, and we need to keep the boats maintained. So donations and memberships help with that.
1: There are other organizations around who have some of the same kind of gigs as well. Isn't that true? And there's races involved and all that?
5: Yes. Uh, Vinyl Haven and down in Rockland, there are gigs. Um, Blue Hill is thinking about building a gig, so we're going to try to work with them and help them get up and running.
1: Your One of yours is named, uh, appropriately enough, Bell Fast, which I think is just a wonderful <laughs> little pun. And uh, my mother was uh, having dinner in Portland uh, down at the boat show uh, just recently. And at the next table was a French-Canadian fella, and he claimed, if Mum has this right, that he is building a gig in Quebec. And he claimed that he was the only wooden boat builder in, in uh, I believe, the city of Quebec. So, uh, All right. Yeah, maybe one of those will be showing up soon, too. Anyway, that's what I heard.
5: That would be great. We do have a sailing and a rowing regatta during every season, and we invite people to come from wherever to
1: join Pretty cool. Have we left anything out, Joanne?
5: Well, I would like to give some contact information. There's our website www.boatng. org. A um, couple of phone numbers. If you want to get involved in the boat maintenance this spring, you can call me uh, 338-9686 or 338-3466. And um, if you just if you live in Belfast and you want to just come on down to the boat shed. Um, As the weather gets warmer, we'll be posting things on the boat shed regularly.
1: And, again, you don't have to live in Belfast. You just have to sort of show up there. That's true, isn't it?
5: That's right. And we do recommend that people sign up for rowing um, so that you're assured a seat for that particular rowing time. And that sign-up happens at our boat shed, too.
1: Well, thank you very much, Joanne.
5: Great. Thanks Thanks a lot. Thanks,
1: Joanne. Putting people in boats—that is a very cool thing. Uh, kind of grassroots boating, and you got to admire that. Comeboating dot org uh, once again. Now, the phone is ringing a minute ago. Somebody standing by there? Guess not. My name
6: is yeah. Colin. I'm calling oh. from Atlantic Challenge in Morning. Rockland.
1: Morning, Colin. Speaking of uh, places that connect people with boats. Yeah. Yeah. Atlantic Challenge uh, on on Route One down in Rockland. There, Alan and I were down a month or two ago for a lecture uh, by Steve Callahan of a uh, drift fame. Great. And uh, that lecture series was so popular, they turned away a couple of dozen people that night. Alan and I couldn't get into the lecture. We just hung out <laughs> right. upstairs and, and hung out with people who couldn't get in. We had a great time.
6: <laughs> Good. That's, Good. that's a
1: great facility you've got down there.
6: Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to call in and share some more of the opportunities that we have this summer for, uh, for folks to get on the water as well.
1: Well, tell us about the Atlantic Challenge. A couple of things going on down there. Uh, you want to start with the Apprentice Shop?
6: Yeah, first, I guess for folks who, who aren't that familiar with us, we're a nonprofit wooden boat building and restoration school right on the waterfront. And about seven years ago, we started a community sailing for both youth and adults. Um, apprentice shop, we're, we're doing some stuff this summer with um, boat building, shorter classes. In conjunction with sailing, You could do a half half day of boat building and half day of sailing, getting on the water and actually building them as well. In um, the community sailing program, we're going to be doing a bunch of stuff kicking off um, real soon here within a month with the high school racing team and the after-school sailing, which lets kids come down and sail Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays um, for a small fee and keeps them busy in the colder months as we gear up for summer.
1: There you go. What kind of uh, boats do you have for your fleet down there?
6: Uh, we range anything from dinghies, 8-foot sailing and rowing dinghies, on up to this year we're going to have a 40-foot schooner down here off of, uh off of our mooring field for use as well.
1: So no, anything from, we'll be right yeah, over. <laughs> yeah, we'll be right over. <laughs>
6: It'll be great. It'll be great. Um, yeah, but just uh, the summer season, we're adding some new stuff as well for family sailing, will be new this year. So parents and children can come down together and get on a keel boat um, and learn together on one boat. Um, and everything from full day sailing to half deals, half day deals, whatever tickles your fancy.
1: How do people access the place? Let alone if you're driving through Rockland, uh, just stop by and and uh, walk in. You got a great lobby library there and stuff. But how do how do people access the place? Otherwise, phone number and website. Uh, phone
6: number. You can reach us five nine four one eight zero zero. Or the best and probably easiest way is to go to our website, which is www.AtlanticChallenge.com. atlanticchallenge com, and that'll show you everything you want to know about the Apprentice Shop. Um, the last of our lecture series, which is tomorrow night. And all our community sailing program classes got the full schedule and prices and dates.
1: Don't have the schedule. Who's speaking tomorrow night? Skip Bracey. Skip Bracey, yep, pilot. Uh, um, open up Scott Bay pilot, yeah. So
6: it should be a good one. Last one of the season.
1: What do you do down there exactly, Colin?
6: Uh, I am the waterfront programs coordinator.
1: Oh, good job. What's your favorite oh. part of that? <laughs> Being near the favorite waterfront?
6: Part is, favorite part is today. Uh, uncovering boats in the sunshine, not a breeze up yet. So that's my favorite part
1: so far, <laughs> uncovering boats now, Philip called me about three weeks ago and says, "I'm going to uncover the boat." I forbade him from uncovering the boat, and I was so happy when it snowed in between yeah. now and then, <laughs> but yeah, now right. I'm thinking it's it's it uh, could be time, but we could get ten inches of snow next week you know
6: we we very well could it is oh, April
1: okay. uh you know it's not really quite time yet as I just uh, that was going to be one of the questions this morning. Is it is it time to uncover them yet? And you're saying yes. So.
3: Oh, we've stepped several and have launched one already.
1: Well, yeah. Alan's talking about uh, Morris Yachts uh, Service Yard there, and they they've, they've got to get them in the pipeline and keep them coming out the other end, starting early. Yeah. Yeah. Most people, uh, you know, uh, officially, of course, the boating season doesn't start till the fourth of July. But unless you're people who know better, um, <laughs> which is the the boating season can be anytime. Colin, thanks for calling in this morning. uh, Thank you for having me. Atlantic Challenge is just another place where you can access boats and water and happy people, and it's just a very cool thing.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: We're about uh, a little bit more than halfway through boat talk. Been fairly painless so far. I haven't come up with a pun yet, but if I think it's uh, kind of like trying to see a lighthouse at night, you gotta—you can't look right at it. You gotta look beside it, and then gotta it, maybe happen. it'll come
3: to him. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. You
1: uh, have any help for Mike? Here's a, uh, another interesting. Uh, where is I got to find the uh, proper uh, piece of paper here? Yeah. Windward Passage, which is part of uh, the organization Sail Maine, is trying to get people to go sailing, to. They're having a pretty cool uh, uh, thing this summer where they are trying to get students. This is a co-educational program open to any students, anybody, 14 to 18 years old. And what you'll be doing is uh, either going out on the Schooner Bowden or on the Schooner Nathaniel Bowditch, And... Uh, there are 10 berths available on the Bowdoin and 20 berths available on the Bowditch. Uh, Bowdoin's going out 3 to 6 July, and Bowditch should be going out 4 to 7 August. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, they have scholarships for this, and uh, typically uh, you can get a scholarship for 50% of the cost. That leaves you $250 to pick up on your own, but they will not turn anybody away. If you can't afford that, um, they will figure it out how your kid can get out on that boat. Anybody, 14 to 18 years old. Uh, Windward Passage is a scholarship program of Sail, Maine. And if you're interested in that, windwardpassage.org or three two six zero six zero six. And, again, what a great thing for a uh, oh. – imagine how – what a good time those <laughs> no kids be No matter what having. the cost, that will be an invaluable education
3: to get out on the water for those. Oh, man.
1: My dad uh, years ago worked for uh, Channel Eight Television in Poland Spring, Maine, uh, Mount was- off the top of Mount Washington. Oh, that's and where this comes from. <laughs> yeah, they had a um, they had a uh, thing where the schooner uh, oh not bounty uh, Blue Nose out of Nova Scotia was coming to Portland, and they were going to do a film piece on it for Good Morning America. <laughs> so they needed people to ride the boat from Halifax to Portland, and my dad went on that cruise and. How hard did I try to get myself on that boat? I still <laughs> resent the fact that I didn't get to go hmm. on uh, the Blue Nose from Halifax to Portland. that
3: boat's still around? I it
1: is, and they've uh, redone another one. The original one got a little soft. Yeah, she got a little rotten and stuff, and I, I think they've built a this new one. This was the original that your father went on. Yep. Oh, I yeah. didn't realize that. My blue that nose one. on the uh, Canadian very dime, fast uh, old shipping boat, or yeah. fishing boat from fishing boat famous for the old schooner races they uh, used to have with the Gloucester fishermen. Yeah. Yep. And uh, blue nose was undefeated, but you know uh, we're not talking uh, they beat the Americans every time, are we? Because uh, so anyway, here's another interesting one: LNG for uh, purposes of, uh, you know, just throwing it out there. The Canadians are building two LNG ports, uh, one in St. John, New Brunswick, and the other at Point Tupper, Nova Scotia. Uh, We are proposing to have some, uh, there are more than one, proposed down in Passamaquoddy Bay, down in the Eastport area. And uh, there's a big fur over that, whether or not that's appropriate. And the Canadians have chimed in and saying that... uh, they want to limit passage through Head Harbor Passage, um, declare these these uh, vessels to be dangerous vessels, and and deny them passage in those international waters in between Canada and America there. It's actually quite narrow. You come around the top of um, Campobello Island, and you have to uh, go around that. And as you come uh, around the top of Campobello Island, Eastport is just dead right in front of you a few miles away and the uh, LNG tankers would be going off to starboard off to where uh, oh, uh, what's the name of the town over there I can't, I'm looking too close Perry? at it no the uh, Canadian town um, oh, yeah. I'll think of it in a second uh, St. Andrews mm-hmm. you're over over that way and uh, again they are, are proposing that those ships will not be allowed in that international passage but that's uh, created quite a stink now imagine Denying international passage to a commercial vessel and what the worldwide implications of that might be. Hmm. You know? Yeah. There's lots of narrow passages oh, yeah. that uh the Straits of Hormuz just Gibraltar, for instance.
3: So is, yeah. yeah.
1: So anyway, that's in the news right now about the LNG thing, and uh, you know, we won't talk more about that unless you're interested in it. And the number here is this morning at Boat Talk, and we'd we'll be glad to have you call 1-866-625-9378.
3: All right, um, going back to the uh, moonlight theme, one that occurred to me that I thought was a, a very interesting phenomenon that never would have occurred to me, we've uh, both experienced phosphorescence, probably most anybody that lives along the coast has experienced phosphorescence in the uh, summertime when when you disturb the ocean water, it'll disturb the microorganisms in there and some of them will start to glow Do this uh lightning
1: bug effect where the water will glow where it's been disturbed you can kill a valuable time on a night watch hanging your head over the transom and just watching that stuff it's like the aurora i admit admit that it's it's amazing just tripping uh, out watching it you know but uh
3: during a mid uh moonlight cruise uh ghosting along making a little phosphorescence with the boat all of a sudden these streaks started flying through the water and it was dolphins Oh, cool. Coming, coming to, the, you know, to the boat from various angles and going underneath the boat. It was uh, it, it, At first, it reminded me immediately of the uh, World War II movies we used to watch as a kid when the torpedo was coming in. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, it wasn't a torpedo. It was a dolphin, but it was, they were going at good speed, making quite a bit of phosphorescence. So it was very, very striking.
1: Always like to see them. Uh, always like to see them. We caught one uh, on our way to Bermuda one time. Uh, uh, about two days out of Bermuda, our refrigerator had broken down, and we stored that on uh, deck in some buckets. And when we got into Bermuda, the, um, we knew we had a good fish, but the, uh, the, all the customs guys in Bermuda, they lived to go out and catch those Dorados is what they call them. And uh, that's what they live for, to go out and catch those things. And we had a big honking one. Mm. And, again, we didn't have any refrigeration for it. And we come in in a boat that made a regular passage uh, back and forth every year. And it had been through uh, St. George's Bermuda on a regular basis. They recognized the boat. And uh, the, they started hitting the boat. Uh, geez, we couldn't get a little piece of that. Oh, geez, yes, you could. Huh? Would you like? Could I have some for my mate, too? Uh, yes, you can. You can have all the Dorado you want, buddies. And they said, you boys are okay, we'll fill out the paperwork, you're you're okay. And we're like, did we just bribe our way into Bermuda? It sounds a little fishy, doesn't it? Yeah. So anyway, good eating fish, too. Uh, you want to cut that up and uh, sprinkle a little lemon and pepper over it and put it right under the broiler before it stops wriggling. Yeah. Speaking yeah.
3: speaking of refrigerators, though, one, one little tidbit I picked up last month or so is uh, that people are discovering on boats that the iPods that a lot of people have now and, and use when they're... Cruising around, you know, the little music things that you uh, load music into don't do real well on boats down in the southern climes where it's very humid and very hot. So people now are are putting their iPods in their refrigerators. Sometimes even when they're listening to them, but mostly just to keep them
1: cool so they'll last longer. No, well, the marine iPod will be the next advancement, obviously, and that will cost five times the regular price (laughs) of 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 an iPod. Marine grade. Yeah, and will be good. It will be advertised to be uh, submersible to 200 feet, but won't even go down into a puddle and come back again working. If uh, you know, yeah, or you can leave it on deck and it won't burn out. 1-866-625-9378 is the number around here. We'd love to talk to you this morning about uh, anything you're contemplating naval. Maybe you've got a, uh, you know, a boat project. Get ready for this spring, or uh, maybe looking for a, uh, you know, a little talking into to sign up for the Conuske Stream Race one uh, 866 Speaking of iPods, um, our computer guru here, Matt Baia, has... Um, I don't have this exactly right firm in my mind because I don't do iPods and iTunes, but apparently Boat Talk uh, episodes have been logged in the archives of iTunes. And if you search Boat Talk, Maine, or Boats on iTunes, apparently you will, you can come up with past episodes of this show Boat Talk and we have a website that shows that people have actually been listening to it (laughs) hundreds of people (laughs) have been listening to last time we looked like 350 people had uh, downloaded Boat Talk through iTunes so how about that with your uh, marine iPod. That, that surprised me very much and uh, what a wonderful thing well, so if
3: you got some friends from, from away you think you might be uh, interested in the and uh, this program that's one way that yeah and of they course, might be able to connect
1: uh, always available on the web as well uh, uh, weru.org, org and I believe there are shows that are, are uh, archived there as well that you can yeah. can listen to and you'd uh,
3: actually call up and then listen to yourself later Calling one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We do have a caller now. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
4: Hi. Uh, Fred in Tennis Harbor again Hi, with Fred. a quick question. Do uh, you have any experience with those uh, little refrigeration, uh, portable refrigeration units that work on 12 volts? The
3: easy uh, electric ones?
4: Yeah, just the, the fans, the only thing moves, supposedly.
3: Right. Um, and I yes, wonder, I have.
4: And I um, just wonder how big they, they make them and uh, how good they are.
3: Well, this was several years ago, so maybe they've improved them now. But at the time, uh, a fellow decided he was going to try it by putting two of those into the side of his ice box, so it would cool the inside of the ice box. And it never really worked very well at all. And on the hot days, it it actually lost um, lost cooling and started the, the whole ice box warmed up to like fifty degrees or so. <laughs> so um, maybe if you have something that's very very well insulated and have uh, a very super efficient one of those 12 volt chillers
1: ice but, it always works until it melts yeah.
4: okay thanks a lot <laughs> so yeah
1: the answer <laughs> on the quick answer to those is now actually ice works a few minutes after it melts if you have good insulation but you know ice always works keeping things cold on uh, you know and uh, store food storage on the boat always the problem and in the uh, past years people uh, going long distance used to Vaseline their eggs, for instance, and store them in the bilge and hope that they didn't go bad, you know. A yeah. lot of ways to approach uh, uh, the uh, – a lot of other uh, old old sailing stories I've been reading recently, a lot of them, uh, you, the provisions just aren't fit. You know, you get a barrel of salt meat when the uh, meat was killed in the summertime and, and not salted properly, and you're down the other side of the equator with no port in sight, and you've got green beef and green water to drink, uh, you know. It can be a problem.
3: One uh, ice-related thing that uh, I did a few years back was we had delivering a boat that had a freezer right on the boat, so we thought, well, we could make some ice in, in advance for the ice box. And rather than just making ice, why don't we freeze some of these uh, uh, boxes of milk that you can get, the you know, the sanitary boxes? That okay. You, and put those in there and pack them up to freeze them. And good thinking so far. Uh, yeah. Well. <clears throat> A few days out after offshore, offshore, we decided we were going to start pulling up some of those ice boxes. They exploded. They, well, they didn't explode, but they expanded enough so that we couldn't get them out of the freezer without defrosting the freezer. They'd actually wedged themselves right
1: in there. So they worked <laughs> too, too well. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. 866 Boat Talk here this morning. Another thing we like to talk about, Boat Talk, uh, all the time is the economics of the boat industry and the boat school down in Eastport. Uh, Representative uh, Kevin Ray of Eastport and Dennis Damon, who is uh, from Hancock County here, have uh, got up a bill to fund the boat school as a part ongoing part of the uh, state budget. And I wish I had that with me here this morning so I could read more to you about it. We tried to get a hold of Kevin Ray to speak about that this morning, but didn't work out. But anyway, there is uh, activity down at the boat school there, and it's sort of been rescued for the present time, and they are trying to get it funded. And we are all in favor of uh, you know the fact that the boat industry is a, a very important piece of the economy down here. And as we've talked about on Boat Talk in the past, in a way we have a, a worldwide reputation as boat builders, but not so much a local reputation. And here's a great little uh, program in the Northeast Harbor School. Uh, the 8th uh, grade down at the Northeast Harbor uh, Junior High School down Mount Desert Island has got up a uh, program where they, the kids are building boats, and they have got some experts involved. One of our favorite people, Art Payne.
3: Art has been on this show two, three different times. Art,
1: we had Art on a bunch of times for a while, and we've got to have him back if we think about it. Uh, Art went in as a boat designer and artist and uh, told him about how to design boats, Doug Foster of the Mount Desert Boat Company and uh, boat builder Carl Kelly also consulted on this. And the kids also went up to Morris Yachts in Trenton, and they observed the building of boats right from the mold, okay, which needs to be uh, polished up, and then you lay some uh, squirt some gel coat into it, and then you lay some fiberglass cloth and all the gooey, sticky stuff there, and then you get that out of there and start building the inner guts of the boat. And they took the kids right through the entire process. Now, these kids are building their own boats. They're building fiberglass boats. They're building a mold first. First, they build a plug. Then they build a mold. Then they fiberglass the thing. Then they finish it off. And then they're going to have races.
3: That's a great idea.
1: Yeah. And the race is uh, sort of modeled after the uh, America's Cup. They're being called the teacup competition. And uh, you're going to have the world's fastest pond boat. And the kids are just so into this. And uh, some of them, their, their uh, parents work in the boat industry, but they would never seen what their parents do. And some of them also are just inspired to think that they might like to be boat builders.
3: We're going to take one of our recorders to one of their model boat races and uh, interview the, uh, the participants.
1: That would be good fun. There's uh, one kid here who uh, used to go out lobstering with his grandfather. He says, I'm not much into uh, sailboats. I'm into motorboats. So, uh They've got different kind of propulsions uh, involved. And here, this kid is working on a system to puncture uh, butane cartridges, I believe they are. And uh, he says the gas is either going to come out and the boat will go real fast for a short time or real slow for a long time. He says, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> yeah, and he's said. just right beside himself, and that's <laughs> um, a wonderful thing. Yeah, And the well, teachers hope to uh, do this again in the future. And, again, at least one kid has talked about being a boat builder, and it's given the kids another door into their future and just a fantastic experience we'll, for everybody
3: we'll have to continue on this we do have a phone call though cool good morning welcome to boat talk
1: good morning guys it's great hi how
2: you doing uh, well continuing the uh, I guess butane is the segue um, talking about the uh, LNG things uh, you you mentioned that uh, you were wondering at the prospect of denying commercial uh, uh, shipping into into a uh, an international passageway i i'd like to remind you that when they were pro- proposing the oil refinery down there uh, in the 70s the, the the reason that it was killed was because the the navigation was so iffy in that area and the and the requirements of the large ships is, for sea room is 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 so huge that it just it just didn't pass and i don't see that anything's really changed there so i'm not sure that that's going to be a hugely new issue uh, except that maybe the Canadians are putting their foot down and that people here, Patriots here, will put make a lot of noise about that.
1: Now, uh, the, these LNG boats are especially large, and they're making them larger uh, yeah. all the time. But uh, Eastport is a major port, and large ships go in and out of there, as as uh, we'd like basically more large ships to go in and out of Eastport. Um, they have two piers in Eastport, if you've never been down there. They have what's called the Front Pier, which is... Uh, In the front side of the town, where all the fishermen are, and there's a uh, space alongside for a uh, ship to come there. But on the back side of Eastport, at Estes Head, over by where the boat school is, they've built a whole nother pier with some large steel buildings because as a port, they have no storage there. And again, uh, that's part of what used to be the three-port strategy in Maine, Portland, uh, Searsport, and Eastport. And uh, that was when, I guess, we thought we'd be exporting. Natural resources and stuff, but, of course, that's kind of a, uh, you know, is that that game is changing. So there's, all I'm saying is a little contradiction there that Eastport already is a major port, but we don't want, uh, you know, again... Well,
2: it's a question of the hazardous material. It's yep. not a question just of the size of the ship. If, and again, the, if, a bigger, if it were hazardous ship. material on smaller ships, it might be able to be done. But it, when you combine uh, uh, of the, the LNG, which could really be a problem or oil which would with the currents would spread right down the coast if there was a major spill up there um,
1: apparently you,
2: you really have to be, you really have to take a second look at the size of the ships and, the, and, and in relation to the navigation there
1: Apparently, a spill of LNG is not going to uh, pollute the water. because no, 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 It'll come out and in flash into a fireball and evaporate what water uh, you know is, is there. I guess, and uh, it's going to be an incineration problem, not a mop-up problem. Right,
2: and that's what, and that kind of potential, no matter where it is, is the reason for not taking it into a, into a dangerous passage. That's that's all, all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, mostly, I want. I don't know. Uh, I've been away for a while, as you know, and I don't know what you talked about about the uh, the whole flap over the Dubai uh, taking over the the port management. Um, I don't know what was said on the show before, but uh, my hit on this is that this was a whole lot of nothing, and and I mean, really, what are they going to do? What could they possibly do that would that would uh, threaten the the U.S.? I mean, immediately they do something the U.S. will take, the Coast Guard will take over management or somebody will take over management. I mean, it's, I don't see that, that it ever was really an issue except in the minds of, of people who wanted, who needed an issue to make some noise on, to distract from some other things. And I just don't, I just don't understand what they could possibly do except maybe get a little bit of information about our, our commercial uh, sh- shipping stuff. But that, most of that's pretty much available anyway.
1: The only, uh, um idea I had about that was to sort of analogize it to the mob moving onto the docks. You know, you've got companies uh, running the running the docks, and, you know, they've been, let's face it, the mafia used to be all over the docks, and I don't know if they are nowadays or not, but the reason they were down there is because they can, uh, you know, plunder at will, basically, and it's kind of a, uh, you know, transitional uh, world where a lot of shady things happen, apparently. So, I
2: agree with you, but I don't, you know, I don't see I see I don't is dubai automatically the mob i don't i'm not sure that that's the case any more than england or canada or anybody else who might be managing managing the ports you know um globalization and free trade are are um are going to happen and (laughs) we you know it has to be has to be just on all on all sides and i but i just think that this was a this was political propaganda more than a real issue
1: Last, last month, we talked to a uh, professor down at Maine Maritime Academy, and, and again, we asked him about the nature of the American merchant marine as a body of people, what they do for work. And uh, we do have a reserve fleet, the uh, military reserve fleet, which is, um, you know, uh, ships that are, are uh, uh, you know, for our military infrastructure, moving things around the world. Uh, on the other hand, we routinely fly tanks to Iraq. We fly M1 Abrams tanks in planes to Iraq instead of put them on ships. And, and uh, to me, the interesting thing is nowadays we're an importing nation. We have exported a lot of our manufacturing. Uh, everything, our Dexter shoes and our Levi jeans have to come back by boat, our underwear, you know, about everything. And uh, we don't control the shipping. We don't, uh, you know, we don't make big ships. We don't own them, and uh, we don't really staff them either. So if we ever get on the wrong side of those people, I'm worried about my Levi's and my shoes showing up.
2: Um, I just I on the I just don't see I mean the wrong side of the people in, who are running the port.
1: Um, well, the people that own the ships, the people who uh, own the dock in China, the you know, uh, like I say, uh, they had a port strike out in the West Coast, uh, what a year or two ago, and the ports were closed down for two weeks or something, and and uh, things dry up fast
2: you know if 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 uh, if a foreign owner of of a management firm that was managing the ports did something like that they wouldn't last more than 2 days before something would be done about it i, I really don't think that's an issue
1: well uh, like i say i'm not i uh, mean
2: they could hurt us but they would hurt themselves more and and i just don't i don't see that that, that that's really that's really an issue. I think it's 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 uh, it's just talk by um, people who who are, are xenophobic about about the rest of the world. I'm I'm a realist. I understand there's corruption and and all kinds of games being played out there, uh, but uh, I just don't think it was the big issue that deserved all the headlines and everything that it got.
1: I was just pursuing the globalization part of it, you know. Like I say, uh, more stuff is moving around the world nowadays, but we don't really control that end of it. As, as uh... and
2: nobody, the truth of the matter is, nobody controls all of it anymore. And no, and fewer, and it's going to be less centralized control, in spite of the fact that corporations are getting bigger. It's, go, it's going to be less and less centralized control, which means that that. It's not going to be, nobody's going to be in control whose interest it is to disrupt everything. I mean, I, you think about people talk about China uh, uh, owning all, all of our debt and then having us uh, over a barrel, so to speak. But they also have themselves over a barrel because if they destroy our economy, then their investment just goes right down the tubes. And it's going to be a long time before China is able to afford to lose. Uh, a significant portion of its investment in U.S. debt. So,
1: there you go. You know, um, you, know the,
2: the, you, you, you know, if you make if you make yourself dependent on somebody, sometimes that makes them dependent on you too. You know, it's like um, the bank is dependent upon you as much as as you're dependent on the bank when you take out a loan. They don't want they don't want to own your property. They just want to get their money back. And and it's somewhat the similar situation. With all of this stuff, and uh, and yes, there's you know we have to worry about port security and make sure that there aren't uh, stuff going on, but you can do that without all of this fuss and xenophobia that um, that that the people in Congress and the press and the and the conservative talk radio were were flashing around.
3: Interesting. Anyway, that's Interesting. all. I, uh,
2: that's all I had to say okay.
3: about it. Well, thank you, Gray. We're just about up uh, at the end of our cruise. Yeah,
1: interesting, tricky business. I'm, of course, nostalgic for the old days when uh, you would get out uh, somewhere where you had deep enough water up the harbor to build a, uh, you know, let's say a two, 300-foot bark or brig or ship, and, uh, you know, you may not have any power tools. This would be the mid-1800s. Uh, maybe later on you might have a steam engine to do some hoisting and run a little saw. But the boys outside would lay the keel, and about a year later they'd launch the thing, and then they'd fill it up with stuff like pulp or uh, lime or uh, you know blueberries or some day ice, and sail it somewhere uh, around the world, or they'd go uh, just reading about a uh, old captain from uh, uh, Blue Hill, Candage, who ran around from uh, eighteen twenty six to eighteen sixty seven when he retired, and. Uh, after he left Blue Hill, he didn't get back for like uh, 14 years the first time, and and one load would lead you to New York, and when you're in New York, you find something else to carry. Now you're in South America. You hear there's something over in Shanghai, so you head over there, you know, and you just bop around the world in your home-built, basically a, a wooden boat delivering stuff everywhere. There was the old, all this globalization, sort of old school in a lot of ways, but of course, we can't build a big wooden boat like that on the side of, you know, with hand tools anymore, and... On the other hand, they just built the uh, Godspeed down in Rockland, uh, Rockport and launched that 40-ton recreation of the Jamestown boats. They're building a half-size one in Booth Bay right now, Discovery, another one of the trio that came to Jamestown. These are all built out of modern materials, all epoxied and bedded. And, and imagine those old English guys if they could see these new boats with the nice diesel engine. <laughs> well, that's about it for Boat Talk for this week.
3: And uh, thanks to uh, Amy down in the engine room for running this all together. Stay tuned for Jim Pahoosh coming up next on On the Wing on W R U F M Blue Hill, 89.9 and 102.9 in Bangor. For, Aunt, for Mike Joyce, this is Alan Spray. Talk to you later. I'd
2: sure enough be single. I couldn't bring myself to memory an old day. it just be me and Trigger. we we'll go riding right through them holes. We'd buy a boat and on the sea we'd sail And if I had a boat I'd go out on the ocean And if I had a pony I'd ride him on my boat And we could all...
7: The stock market is up. And the current administration in Washington says the economy is doing better. We live in a land of plenty, many would say in a nation of excess. So how come we still have a need for food pantries in down east Maine? This is Ron Beard of University of Maine Cooperative Extension and host of Family Radio Forum. On our next program, we'll look at the need for food pantries and how they work. We'll profile the Tree of Life Pantry in Blue Hill and their successful turnstile pre-owned clothing store whose sales support the food pantry. We'll learn how many pantries in the region are working together with the Healthy Hancock Coalition to learn from one another, improve their operations, and provide information along with healthier food to their customers. Make a note to join me and my guests, including Will Rossborough of the Tree of Life Food Pantry and Heather Albert Knopp of the Healthy Hancock Coalition, when Family Radio Forum will take up Food Pantries in a Land of Plenty. Only on your community radio station, WERU, 89.9 FM in Blue Hill, 102.9 in Bangor, and now worldwide at WERU.org.
0: This hour of Boat Talk is made possible in part by Gamble & Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main wind jammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.com.